1: Time travel is possible. This episode of the To Die For Daily podcast is brought to you by Clio Global. With the muse of history at its heart, Clio's mission is to recreate the past's aromas. Visit Clio.Global for more information.
0: Love the British monarchy. You've come to the right place. Welcome to the To Die For Daily podcast with Kinsey Schofield. Take it away, Kinsey. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hate that intro. I'm going to have to do it again. Three, two, one. (laughs) Kinsey here with the Today for Daily podcast with my friend Gareth Russell. And Gareth, you are the author. You're a historian, a very celebrated historian. And it was amazing to watch you throughout all of the coverage of the Queen's funeral. But you are also an author, one of my favorite authors. And do let's have another drink about the Queen Mother. It's coming out November 1st in the United States. It's October 13th in the uk is that one
1: when... yeah it's sort of beginning to feel a lot like lunch week here for, so it's it, um, yes yeah it's busy i'm so, so yeah, excited for you oh fine oh, kinsey thank you so much it's really it's very exciting and look i'm very aware it's a busy news week we have the real house lives of beverly hills reunion this week as well so, <laughs> so we have so we have some stuff we have some stiff competition but um i'm, I'm deadly serious and uh and but i think um it's just to have worked on the book, and then to have the kind of reaction it's having right now is just unbelievable. I mean, you always sort of hope that a a book will start getting this kind of reaction in its first, you know, when it comes out. So I'm feeling busy and very lucky.
0: Um, really quickly, I'll just say this is like a series of interviews we're going to do. We're just doing okay. quick get togethers to celebrate yeah. your book launch. So if you love Gareth, get ready. It, we've got more to come, um, and. We this is our happy hour, so we do have our happiest, yeah. The happiest (laughs) hours, also. I want to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you who I have somebody scheduled for the end of this month to podcast. But she told me she had to wait till after BravoCon and then she can do it. (gasps) (laughs)
1: It.
0: And you are my only friend that cares.
1: Um, The thing is, it's (laughs) I. You know, and when I interviewed people for Do Let's Have another drink, Kinsey, I was fine. Like I really was completely normal and you know some really fascinating, important people. I once thought I saw Lisa Vanderpump in the streets of Beverly Hills, and I'm telling you, I don't remember the next minute. <laughs> oh <laughs> just, my gosh. Was, you blacked um, out. I had a religious experience. I have to assume that's what happened.
0: <laughs> that is so great. Um one one thing that is so exciting about the buzz around this book launch is that this is a different route for you this is not necessarily like your other books were you fearful of going in this creative direction and if and and what actually convinced you that this was the right direction to go
1: that's a great question because yeah it is a bit different I mean I've written sort of full-length history books before and loved them and will again and this was just um this is you know 101 anecdotes about the Queen Mother's life, one for each year of her life, and it's a shorter book, and it's more a lot of it's um, based on interviews and her own words and her letters. And I do say in the book, look, I would love this to be a drink, uh, sorry, a drink a, a story you can tell over drinks, or a, or stories you can tell over dinner parties, or dip into for anecdotes. So I was obviously a bit nervous, not how it would be received, but would I be good at it? You're always a bit nervous if you if you switch. Uh, gears and anything creative you know this I think you're always you sit and you think am I am I am I playing to my skill set here but it was the most extraordinary fun I've ever had working on a book I mean it really was equal parts fascinating and hilarious so yeah I mean it, it's been wonderful
0: well, also, it's just so easily digestible in the way that it's uh, written. It's, you know, I can put it, I can sit down and go, oh, I, I need 20, I'm going to take 20 minutes to just enjoy this book. And and you can actually, the OCD person in me can't stop a movie unless it's at like the exact minute or, right, and, and with the book, I was See like, here. this is great. You know, it, it was just so easily digestible. So, oh yeah, I did want to address this. You know, The last month of our lives has been pretty chaotic as Royal watchers and commentators how do you think the queen mother would grade king charles on his first month of his reign
1: well she was very close to him i mean they read it you know he recently strangely i just finished the book and he was doing a walkabout in scotland and he said near a camera it was caught on camera i used to come here with my grandmother i still miss her every day oh um that's 20 years since she passed away so they were very close and i think she would have uh, uh, where i think she would have struggled a bit is the queen mother was very traditionalist you know she was born in 1900 i think some of the changes would have left her a bit uh, some of the streamlining we've seen would have left her a bit baffled i think uh, queen consort camilla's decision to cut back on ladies in waiting i don't think she would have thought that was a great idea but ultimately i think the queen mother would have been, from what I can tell of her, I think the Queen Mother would have thoroughly approved of how Charles has been in his first month. I think she would have approved of the dignity that he showed in all those um, travels to each part of the United Kingdom and in the way he eulogised his mother. Mm -hmm. And I think also she would have been particularly touched that so much of the ceremonies took place in Scotland, which of course was the, was the country, it was her homeland. She loved Scotland. She spent, you know, they always said with the Royals, the Queen Mother was the first to go to Scotland and the last to come back to England. So I think she would have loved that. Uh, and and also just from a mother's perspective, she was immensely proud of Elizabeth II. She thought she was a wonderful monarch. So I think yeah. she would have seen with approval how that the, the Queen carried on that duty to the end with, Appointing Prime Minister Liz Truss, and I think she really would have approved of, of the dignity and the um, steadiness with which Charles III has has reigned so far.
0: What is your take on the ladies in waiting? Why do we do you? Why do we? What is the value of ladies in waiting today? Is there one? Yeah. And is there a possibility that um, Catherine? the Princess of Wales might bring them back because I'd like to go ahead and submit my application immediately. Application,
1: sure. So the ladies in waiting is a really interesting one because they're not really paid. So it's interesting to see it as a cost. It's not really a cost-cutting thing. Their, their expenses are obviously paid, but they're usually drawn from aristocrats or friends of the Queen. I have to say they do are a bit un, um. Because their title is so archaic, I think people think this sort of gorgeous irrelevances. But they do. They're they're pretty impressive organizational units. You know, they answer and monitor all the correspondence. They coordinate a lot of the public events. They accompany the Queen uh, on multiple events and 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 sort of help them run more smoothly. So they they played a big role. But I think. You know, part of the decision is that maybe it's better to have professionals doing these things as we enter a more professionalized century. I, I think. I think it's more. I think it's less cost cutting and more of a modernization. And to your question about Catherine, first of all, absolutely CV submission time. Uh, but I, I don't. It's hard to go back to those things once they're yeah. cancelled. That, that's yeah. you know, once once the tradition is broken, it's very hard to piece it back together. So we'll see.
0: That's what I I was thinking, too. Have you watched The Empress on Netflix yet?
1: Hmm. I haven't, and yet I find um, Cece fascinating, really fascinating.
0: Okay, well, when you do watch it, we'll have to do a bff rundown because i thought it was sure. so amazing and I well i guess what did I was you? Ask i've
1: heard that... i've heard good things actually i did a book years ago about i mean like eight nine years ago about the tail end of the austrian monarchy and cc was in it sort of at the start yeah. but i can remember thinking why did i pitch the idea of starting the story so late because i find her so interesting well maybe I she's of... your
0: next project maybe we collab i don't know maybe there's <laughs> maybe, more
1: here maybe there's a travel documentary we need to do nice exactly, trip to Munich, because Vienna. you know a,
0: she's 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 compared a lot and i guess i could see that she's compared a lot online to diana
1: yeah uh, absolutely
0: but i what made me think of her is in the empress Cece's given a list of appropriate ladies-in-waiting and yeah. it's almost a way that that household controls her because they're women sheep they're women that the household picks based on you know very specific things this one will got this one will tell us when when you know she has her period, this one will tell you know these people will t- tell the household all these gossipy things about her so that they can all you know right. ultimately kind of control her. So I you know I watch that and I go well no wonder they don't want to la- ladies in waiting because we I think we grow up thinking ladies in waiting are your best friends, which I do think that Queen Elizabeth II's perhaps yeah. were. But in um in the in, in the Empress, it, I I felt like that was just another way for the household to control Cece.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because I, because what the the Elizabeth II and her mother had as an advantage is that they were born in Britain, and ladies in mm-hmm. waiting usually have to come from the country where you are queen. So mm-hmm. they were in a position where they could pick friends. But historically, going back centuries there was you know it, it happened with cc it happened with marie antoinette it happened with really every queen consort you were not allowed to bring friends from your homeland when you married into a foreign royal family right. in case they were spies you also had to acclimatize and you know cease to be bavarian austrian whatever you had to become the nationality that you'd married into and so they were basically told, particularly when they were younger, this is who you have to pick. And a lot of the ladies in wedding were glorified spies for the household. So it was not, I knew mean, plenty of queens who were surrounded by women they actively loathed. <laughs> you know, it was, You're giving well, me my
0: PTSD from when Kirsten Dunst has to turn in her dog at her the beginning oh, of the yeah. on well, that.
1: Oh. P- well, probably the worst case was um, a Portuguese princess in the 1660s called Catherine of Braganza married Charles II. And Charles couldn't understand why she was causing such a scene when he appointed his mistress, the Countess of Castlemaine, as one of her ladies in wedding. And Catherine could not get him to understand why this was, you know, not okay. And she got became so upset she had a nosebleed. And he said, well, you're hysterical and walked away. And and his argument was, well, I already promised Barbara the job. So do you want me to break my word? Uh,
0: so yeah, Catherine, Barb I mean, needs to go.
1: Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Tell Barb that um, <laughs> that the word and the contract are broken. Get me out of this. But exactly. no, he, he, he made Catherine have Barbara as one of her ladies and waiting.
0: I hate it here. I hate it yeah. here. <laughs> um, um, this actually goes into what you were talking about with the Queen Mother and her being so committed to um, the traditions. You say... I thought that this was beautiful. You you described your book as a travel guide to a world that no longer exists. Do you think that those are that's kind of what you mean when you say a travel guide to a world that no longer exists, her just being so entrenched in these traditions and married to them?
1: That's, um, I'm so glad you picked up on that because that was, it was hard trying to sort of explain the book in three sentences. But yeah, I want this to be like, you've seen it, it's like, it's 250 pages. I want people to feel like when they pick it up, they're getting a story, but they're also being guided through this world that is gone. Okay, the monarchy's still here, but the world that the Queen Mother knew is gone. She was born into a world that is essentially Downton Abbey. Mm. And, I thought
0: about that when I was reading some yeah. of the words that came out of their mouths. I was like, "This is only acceptable in Downton Abbey,
1: right?" When she like, and also the fact that they had a, a butler called Barson. Like it was all, <laughs> um, you know. She lived in the and she lived in the world of Downton Abbey, and she died in the age of the internet. So there's a huge amount that happens in that time, obviously, uh, and to me i think it was really important not to judge her for what to just tell the story and i think a lot of her views kind of did change a little bit um over the over the course of those years i mean one of the things i found uh, quite touching was that she was quite a big supporter of gay rights long before it was fashionable to do so and uh, in the 1960s when homosexuality was being decriminalized an opponent of of um, gay rights contacted her and said you know your majesty to send a moral message to the country, you should fire all homosexuals on your staff to which the queen mother said, well, if I did that, I'd have to go Um, (laughs) self-service because there were just, there were just so many gay people who worked for her. And, um, so in that sense, I think that, I mean, there, were, there were surprising traits. But yeah, I think, Kinsey, you're right. This was a woman who the thing that ha- held her together was a very deep sense of faith and duty. And that was something that never really altered. And I, I, there's stuff in the book that I talk about that I didn't know and I don't think a lot of people know, which is how much horror and tragedy she saw as a teenager in the First World War.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: that sort of indelibly shaped her character because to her... Um, You know, if she could see people coming back missing limbs and her brothers, one of her brothers was killed in the trenches, others had PTSD for life, she didn't really have a lot of sympathy for people who had a less sense of duty than that. And that was just something I had to write about and, and tell the truth about.
0: Harry and Megan, I just wanted to really quickly, because you already went into it, I did ask people if they had any questions or comments for you. So I just wanted to quickly acknowledge McGlass, You said the beautiful once Duchess of York named nicknamed the smiling Duchess. She was a fabulous woman. She was also the first to help out the gay community when it was still unlawful in the UK by hiring staff because of that very fact. So I just wanted to acknowledge that because I was going to read it out later and it's perfect that we bring it up now. Right. Um, And then each chapter of the book begins with a a photograph of the Queen Mother. She was such a beautiful little girl. How did you, because she's so beautiful and because she's such a fun character, was it hard to come up with just one at the beginning of each Mm. chapter? Did you want to fill the book full of pictures? How How did you choose those?
1: It was good that we had limits and uh, that I had good editors who said, this is the number we need. Cause I think, yeah. you know, there were, there, were, there were, I would have loved to put more photographs in of her childhood. There were some really fun photographs of her and her brother sort of out in the, the highlands of Scotland. But really I tried to pick ones for the start of each chapter that gave a feel of who she was publicly in that decade. And I, and that she, she was a, a very, she, it was interesting. She was very insecure about her appearance by the time she's in her thing. Yeah, really insecure. I, which I did not know. And I came across letters where Cecil Beaton, who did her official photography in the 1930s, met her after the coronation and, and he was doing another photo shoot. And she said, "I'm I'm very nervous because it's distressing to me how uh, badly I photograph." And and you know, she described herself as ugly, and she said that it was hard when there were horrible. You know, she saw herself in a photograph, and those photographs went around the world. So she had these these insecurities, and um, yeah, that was that just sort of humanized her a bit more to me. Yeah. Anyway, um,
0: can you talk to me more about Glam's Castle because yeah. This is it's Halloween time sure. and apparently it was a, a very haunted space huh. um, and little little Elizabeth th- thrived on that information was and was like almost naughty with it, you know, jumping out of closets and things, pretending to right. be the, the grey woman.
1: So Glam's Castle is her ancestral home. It was her father, the Earl of Strathmore's home. They've had it since I think the, well since the 14th century. And it also was the home of Macbeth. Before that, it Glam's Castle is, uh, that whole part of Scotland is just beautiful. But it is said to be the most haunted building in, in the British Isles. Wow. And she fully and completely believed that it was haunted. They all do. They all, the whole Bose Lion family believed that. And yes, she had a huge amount of fun when her sister, Lady Rose, believed she had seen the ghost of the Grey Lady, not Helena Ravenclaw, but um, but a, a witch, a family, a, a, an ancestor who'd been a witch, who'd been burned to death by Mary Queen of Scots' father, and so Elizabeth dressed up as her and jumped out at Rose, um, from in corridors. But it's it's one. I was when I was researching this, I had my stupidly my earphones in, and I was going through an, an account in, a, in the archives of. A novelist who had been there who claimed that he had heard the devil, who also was said to haunt the corridors. And a librarian came up and tapped my shoulder to say that it was close to time in 15 minutes. And I yelled the largest F bomb off my life. And like j- somehow levitated, and jumped about a feet away. Like I really, I near, I'm, I'm convinced I died in that library. There's a part of me that still thinks I'm there um, because it was, it's so atmospheric. This talk of 16 foot thick, thick walls and, you know, <laughs> like they tell you things at glance, like this is the spot where according to legend, Macbeth slaughtered King Duncan, but that's just a legend. He probably slaughtered King Malcolm. And you're like, Oh, okay. That, that's, that's that's the cozy story so yeah there's there's a tongueless um woman there there's a drummer boy who's supposed to haunt it there's also the bearded Earl who was Lord Crawford who allegedly sold his soul to the devil in its hole so that's all in the book about what she believed you know they all be- did, it, she was a lifelong believer in the supernatural
0: I don't and- think I knew about the devil that's a VIP guest.
1: That, so. What's interesting, yeah, is that um, an Australian cook who used to work for the family said, "Oh yeah, I heard him. Everyone heard him. You hear him at night." Oh and God. I was like, "Would you ask for accommodation away from work at that stage?" Because I feel like that's a tricky one. And she and the other, well, the other thing I found out was that um, the Bose Lions, if I dis- just set because the family of the ghost trapped with the devil in one of the rooms still live nearby. So, when they came to visit, they would sort of they thought it was rude to mention that his ancestor had sold his soul to the devil, so they would sort of try to pass over that ghost story. But yeah, the bearded Earl still apparently haunts the the room where he gambled his soul with with Satan.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. We've totally gone over my mini podcast idea, but you know what that's what I love about talking to you. <laughs> Why would anyone assume that baby Elizabeth did not belong to her parents? That was the first time I'd ever read about that.
1: There's a real I mean, I say in the book, look, when there's any kind of minor um inconsistency in a famous person's life, the conclusion reached is as dramatic as possible. We never assume it's just a simple mistake
0: right.
1: Her father. Claude was, and by the way, she wasn't the only child he did this with. He was flamboyantly disorganized. He thought bureaucracy was this sort of silly middle-class nonsense. (laughs) And he just forgot to register her birth until she was getting christened. And the vicar said, you know, you need the, the form. And Claude thought this was stuff and nonsense. But he went and registered the birth. From the fact that her father didn't like paperwork, there is a theory that she wasn't really her mother's biological child and that she was secretly the surrogate or changeling child of a Welsh and or French servant who was smuggled in uh, to Lady Strathmore, um, Cecilia's bedroom, to pass them off as her child. And I say in the book that is basically like adding two and two together and coming up with three hundred and seventy-five. Like it's that's the so... exact
0: number you gave too in the Is book. it
1: hundred? <laughs> First of all, uh, three hundred and seventy-five is the number is my go-to number for crazy. Like <laughs> that's it, just. But um, it, it to me, it's really interesting. The when I say there's no evidence for this, and my, like mountains upon mountains to the contrary, it's interesting how many people once they've accepted it will just. Buy into it, and the fact that there's there was a basically there was um the argument is that Cecilia Elizabeth the Queen Mother's mother was so upset by the birth of her child Violet that they that they did this, but Violet had died. Don't go
0: in too much to it because this is I want people to buy the book.
1: Yeah, well, I guess my
0: my question is: It did Hugo Vickers? I, I I just I read a quote in there from Hugo Victor Vickers. How how did this continue to grow does there is there anybody that gives it any um clout um, or has has put in has put any water on the seed
1: vickers is very firmly against it in his okay book. Okay.
0: okay um
1: and there's also a um a biographer called jane dismore i think wrote a book about the young elizabeth ii and she kind of tackles it as well and doesn't agree with it
0: oh that's so interesting it, you know you talk a lot about the adversity that the queen mother experienced through her teenage years, but she really did have, you know, what I would consider an enchanting childhood. Mm. Um, did But did she grow up with ambition or was she just like floating through life?
1: Yeah. Floating, floating through life. I think certainly there was a lot of pressure, not pressure, pressure makes it sound more Machiavellian than it is. I think the expectation for a, for someone from her background was to marry and to marry well. She'd have, as she said, a very, very happy childhood. I mean, and to the point where I describe her father as a royalist without much interest in the royals. Certainly he had no interest in any of the children marrying into the royal family. And Elizabeth wasn't initially too keen on the idea. I think she became, after she married the future King George VI, I think she became very, very protective of him. And I came across quite an interesting quote from a courtier who worked for Elizabeth II. She said, I know a lot of people don't believe me, but I don't think she wanted to become queen in 1936. But that's not to say she didn't enjoy it afterwards. Right. So I think she was one of of those people who didn't want to be in the limelight necessarily, but once she got into the limelight, she didn't want to step out of it. Right. That's the that's the way I would describe her.
0: All right. So here are some of the <laughs> questions or comments that my followers made about do let's have another drink. And I just want to get you to react to them. Sure. Um Apple Martini says the queen. Oh, mom- huh? <laughs>
1: Great name, Apple Martini. Starting out strong. (laughs)
0: Starting out real strong. (laughs)
1: Yes, yes, take 10 points to Gryffindor. Go ahead.
0: Exactly. All right. The Queen Mum was a true Leo and she took no fools, apparently. What do you say to that?
1: Oh, God. She never thought about it. Yeah, she is. She absolutely is. Um, That's so true. Uh, No, she didn't. Look, the thing is, um, Apple Martini, if I may, uh, (laughs) one of the things that, that emerged was that I think... It dawned on her the longer she was in kind of public life, just how few people she could trust. And there was, you know, some people that she had thought were friends, but then when they died, their diaries would be published and they would be making fun of how much weight she had gained or how oh. bad her teeth were. And and that was really wounding to her. So she, she learned to be a bit more guarded and a bit more suspicious but yes, she absolutely did love the limelight, and she was a natural performer. She actually, when she was her um, daughter Elizabeth II, said that you know that the one trait she wished she could have had was sort of her mother's complete ease with people.
0: Mm, yes, she always did seem very friendly and and, yeah. and excited to 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 make new friends or to to meet new faces. Um, my friend Bob Stump says a woman to emulate. What are some of her best qualities? Do you think?
1: the this isn't a word uh, but this is the ongoingness it's the just keep carrying on thing i mean that really to me was was pretty inspirational the other thing and it's almost the opposite of that grit is enjoy life i mean she really part of the reason why I picked the title do let's have another drink is it's fun. Yes. She was a big believer in enjoying a good box of chocolates and a good drink. And she, she believed in sort of this. I mean, it sounds ridiculous for a queen, but she enjoyed the simple pleasures of life, a long walk, a stiff drink, a good box of chocolates, you know, enjoy those things in life. So the the grit and the grace would be the two things I would put. Oh,
0: grit and grace. What a beautiful combination. Okay, and this is from my friend Larry, Mr. Nashville. He's a talk show host in Nashville, Tennessee. He says, My question is we've all heard of Backstairs Billy, who she loved and he loved her. I was watching a panel of journalists discussing things about a slimmed down monarchy and saying, There are so many problems and staff is having gay orgies in the Queen Mother's home, blah, blah, blah. Surely that's not true. <laughs> I, I may I just want my audience to know I did ask your permission before I answered. Sure, no, question. no,
1: So first of all, um I love Nashville, one of my favorite places. So this and that's mm. a great question. Okay, Larry. So um Baxter's Billy. Who was one of the Queen Mother's uh, footmen? Got his nickname for two reasons. The first was that he had a certain amount of influence behind the scenes in the Queen Mother's household, and also, um, yes, he snuck a lot of his lovers up the back stairs to his rooms. He he um, was a very sexually active gentleman. What I would say is, I don't think, um. I don't think it would qualify as an orgy. I think you're probably right. I think orgy is really stretching it. I think it's probably just a a merry-go-round of partners for Backstairs (laughs) Billy. And with or without a slimmed-down monarchy, look, if a staff member on their off time wants to enjoy um, time with their boyfriends or girlfriends, that's their own business. So with or without a slimmed-down monarchy, I think there will probably still be Backstairs Billy's.
0: And do you think that... um words like orgies do you think that that that, yeah. that happens yeah. when somebody's trying to sensationalize a of course it i mean like i, I just
1: it, i've it, never it's not they, it's not used about straight members of stuff let's just put it that way like it's right. not you know there are some very again the thing is i'm not judging anyone there's there have been a long history of very promiscuous members of the staff who are heterosexual or bisexual um, it was Billy Talon who really, the word orgy seemed to be used. And, and by the way, historically, you're right, there is a tendency for that to be used to suggest, to sensationalize things, particularly when it comes to politics. Yeah. But yeah, Talon does seem to, and, and again, it goes back to what we're talking about, the Queen Mother really protected him from a lot of what we would now call homophobia and mm. um, what she would euphemistically just have referred to as unpleasantness. She didn't ever really, you know, everything was, was, was veiled with her and the way she spoke. But no, I think he certainly was. Um, he had a lot of sexual partners, particularly, I think, earlier on. And the reason why uh, it became quite controversial is that some of those liaisons took place when he rejoined her her staff, excuse me, in the 1950s, when homosexuality was illegal in in Britain. He had a brief relationship um, that then became on again, off again with another staff member called Reginald Wilcox. And it was still illegal so a lot of people in that household they own they were protected when they were you know they they were in this environment where it was sort of don't ask don't tell about their their relationships which was infinitely preferable to what was going on in 1950s and early 1960s britain so Billy's activities really from the get-go were kind of mocked and sneered at a bit by some people in the know. So I think that's still continuing on a bit. Um, but but yes, yeah, certainly he he had um from what I from what I've heard, uh, a busy romantic life in his first 20 years or so in the Queen Mother's service.
0: And probably no regrets. So cheers to Billy. Oh shouldn't regret reacting. That's <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs>
0: Okay, so I will just quickly say um I regret the introduction. We are no longer a mini podcast series. This is we're sure. going full, full full 40 minutes. Full. Full <laughs> so we got a couple of more um a couple of more podcast episodes to come. This is all in celebration of do let's wow. have another drink about the queen mother's extraordinary life and uh, this is such a fun book if you are a fan of the royal family especially if you are a fan of the queen mother this is just a a unique take. It's fun. It's light. It's joy. If you are looking for something that is uplifting and fun and educational, then uh, this is such a great escape for you. Just We're doing a few of these episodes just to celebrate the Queen Mother's life and your book. And I'm so grateful for your friendship
1: oh you too Kenzie. thank you so i mean this has just been first of all what's not to love um but this has just been so He's pointing
0: so much- at his alcoholic beverage by the way <laughs> if you're just listening to us
1: diminishing diminishing it's what she'd want um but thank you so so much for having me and for those questions that was brilliant and thank you also for all your friendship and encouragement and support
0: Thank you for listening to the To Die For Daily podcast with Kinsey Schofield. A transcript of this chat is available at todiefordaily.com. Please subscribe to hear more from your favorite royal commentators. Cheers.